This is the BA Coach Podcast, episode number 44. Welcome to the BA Coach Podcast, online at thebacoach.com. Helping business analysts take their craft to the next level. It doesn't matter if you are a brand new BA or you've been practicing for many years. There is always something we can all do to take our BA skills and techniques up a notch. And now, here is your host, author, blogger, musician, and BA evangelist, Yaqub Muhammad, also known as Yamo. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the BA Coach Podcast, more specifically a Bok Talk episode where we will be deep diving into chapter 5 of the BA Bok, which is Enterprise Analysis. Before we start, I just wanted to let you know that the IIBA has now released the public beta of version 3 of the Babok Guide and we have started working on deciphering and demystifying its content. So if you're prepping for the exam, you will roughly have about, you know, one year from now. So, you know, I'm recording this in June 2014. And also, I just want to announce that if you're going to invest in the version 2 study guide and other resources that we offer, you will automatically qualify to get the version 3's material free of charge. Yes, that's right. You heard it right. Go right ahead and check out thebacoach.com forward slash the ultimate kit to learn more about this. So in our Bok Talk today with Steve Downer, we talk about the importance of enterprise analysis and how it helps guide the organizations to avoid the solution illusion the what versus the why we take an example of the business need and the business case to illustrate this how does enterprise analysis take shape in different organizations discussion around scamper innovation tool how to calibrate with the business this is uh, something new that i learned myself it was quite interesting and the Captain Trego analysis. With all of this and much more, here is Steve. Hi, Emma. Hey, Steve. Welcome to the BA Coach Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Doing wonderful. And uh, we have a very exciting, interesting, and I would say important topic to discuss today in our Bok Talk. So this is the question that I get, probably you know, one of the very frequent questions. Why isn't enterprise analysis the first chapter in the Babok or the first knowledge area, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, yes. So because if it's so important and everything is starting from there, why can't it be first chapter? Which is, you know, which is a whole another topic, which we could dedicate another episode to. Absolutely. Um, let's hear it from you, Steve. Why do you think enterprise analysis is important, uh, you know, based on your work experience and all the wonderful work that you've done at enterprise level? I really believe that significance is that it helps to guide the organization to avoid the solution illusion. It really takes it apart. It's such a modular and valuable set of tools to really, uh, really get the most value out of the correct solution and that's grounded. It should always be grounded in the uh, the real business needs of the the organisation. And sometimes organisations need a little bit of uh, coaxing, a little bit of influencing to uh, to help them get to that point. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, what has your engagement level been in terms of performing enterprise analysis? Like, were you asked to, uh, or were you tasked with creating a business case, or sort of helping the stakeholders, or uh, coaxing them, like you said, to extract out or to elicit the actual business need? Well, in in my experience, I've always tried to to separate it out the what the the business need versus the why, i.e., the business case. So, for the the business need itself, that would start with planning the BA approach, identifying the right stakeholders, and and so on, and conducting analysis to get the answers that can then help evolve that. And as we're doing that, we're obviously assessing capability gaps and trying very hard to keep the stakeholders on point and avoid them kind of running down that uh, solution scope before truly identifying strategy. Because, of course, business need isn't just about the immediate needs of the stakeholders. There could be more strategic goals that align with that. And then moving on to the, the why, that involves sitting them down for a little bit longer to conduct workshops in order to get the elicitation out. So I've been able to apply that in different organizations, different size organizations from uh, small all the way up to uh, global leaders in different industries. Oh, awesome. So uh, it's interesting you said what and why, right? So if you look at enterprise analysis as a knowledge area, the first task Define business need is the what, and like in a way, it's a what. Defining your business case is your why, but there's a, a whole lot of thing in between. You're assessing capability gaps, determining solution approach, and defining solution scope, which I believe also form important components of enterprise analysis, right? That's right. And of course, once you get into the weeds a little bit more, that you see that there is uh, overlap with some of the, the tasks and some of the elements and so on. And the beauty of the way that EA has been structured, enterprise analysis has been structured, is it really is modular. So it's, it's really a, a, quite a flexible toolkit that we can kind of inject into different parts of our analysis to make sure that the end result is absolutely solid. For sure, absolutely. So just to take you in the real world for a little bit. So when you started a project, Steve, what exactly were you working on when you were performing enterprise analysis? So the first example would be a, a global smartphone company that uh, I worked for in the past. And that particular task related to capturing stakeholder needs from a global team in different time zones, really aligning the feedback with the rest of the enterprise analysis was a challenge because we were dealing with uh, some closed-ended and open-ended questions. But thanks to working with the BABOC and some other resources, the end result was quite powerful and it helped to uh, shape the direction of the something called a knowledge center support program, which I was also working on. Mm-hmm. So how did it help you? It helped me in that the questions were very focused. And as a result of that, the responses, the stakeholder needs were very clear and uh, that helped us to come up with the best solution for, for that particular initiative. Awesome. And so it was more like, you know, in, in your first example, you were talking about more like defining needs of a spread 
stakeholder group. Yes, yeah, and it, it included, obviously, some of the inputs were capturing these requirements, using a smart approach, so obviously specific, measurable, achievable, and realistic, and timely goals helped to clarify the needs of the business and the output was business need, which was exactly what they were after. We referred to it as a problem area at that time. Oh, okay, great. So that's what I was getting to next. So let's deep dive a little bit into the first task, which is defining the business need. Now, defining the business need can mean different thing. Like defining the business need can mean different to different organizations. So you just said that it could, it was problem area right so more like what's the one thing that the organization needs to focus on so in your experience what has been a very useful input to perform this task so you know from the babak perspective uh, you need business goals and objectives and you need requirements that are stated so you alluded to conducting surveys so what was that one of your key input that helped you get to the problem area in this particular case it was it was interesting because as you interview a large cross-section of of people <laughs> what you tend to find is that people come with they're asked to state their their challenges and so on and out of that you get different things you get you get problems you get solutions and sometimes you get the business needs so it's interesting comparing those experiences because sometimes in the journey to get requirements which are stated as an input you do capture some solutions which which need to be fleshed out a little bit but it, it's definitely an opportunity to categorize correctly what is a solution what is a, a problem and what is a true business need aligned to strategy because obviously true business needs should really be aligned to the strategic goals and directions of the organization as well. And that that's why you also need that input to sort of make sure that your requirements that are stated are aligning with the business goals and objectives and they're not just whimsical and fancy desires, if you will. Exactly. All right. So what challenges have you faced or are there any other aspects of bus- defining the business need that you want to elaborate on? Well, one of the challenges is determining what kind of approach the project has taken because uh, sometimes if you're, you're up against waterfall versus agile, then the way we capture some of that information is different. So, for example, waterfall may be the more traditional capture and the whole the validation of, of that information versus an agile approach which may prefer you know the user stories and so on my my i love working on agile projects but at the same time i realize that you just need to be aware of what approach you're using is it a planned approach or is it change driven i.e agile so the other challenge is is clarifying what is a perceived need as we we talked about before versus the the actual true need of the organization so those are some of the challenges that i've run into at the beginning when i prior to having a a great excel template and so on that i i used it was i found it a challenge capturing that information and then aligning it i think one of the things i found in order to align the feedback was just to try and categorize it using a, a good approach that was founded in the babok so yeah that really helped great so 
I want to go back to your first challenge for a little bit. Sure. You said, you know, the approach can sometimes dictate how you approach it. So what differences or challenges have you faced between waterfall and agile and how did you overcome them? So the main challenge is obviously in a waterfall environment, there's this kind of a need to capture everything, validate it before anything moves forward versus the agile, which is obviously more sprint driven. So short bursts. And I found that the, the, the push to get stuff done quickly with agile, you still need to sometimes take a step back and decide, okay, so look, I'm, I'm looking at these organizational process assets. They're incredibly important. Perhaps we may need to extend the sprint a week or two longer just so we, we capture some absolutely critical information. I'll give you an example. Unique identifiers for different business rules and so on. Mm-hmm. It's actually very, very, there's a lot of high value if you take the time to provide these unique identifiers because it actually generates velocity later on down the line for the developers because they can do miraculous things with the software coding if they have this uh, information called out as unique identifiers. That takes a little bit of time. So there's that constant balance, balancing out that you're doing in your mind and and checking it against the rest of the team, making sure that what you're doing is, is making sense. Never work in a vacuum, basically. You're always checking in with the team to make sure your approach is best fit to purpose for the, uh, for the project. So it's really the collaborative nature and uh, the time-boundedness between the two approaches that, that sort of make it different. Yes, yes. And it's not just ca- collaboration. There's, all, there's another word that I love to, to use alongside collaboration, and that's calibration. So you're calibrating with the business and making sure that every cog is nicely oiled and in place in addition to working with them closely to get it done. And with regard to best practices, so one of the challenges that I have observed and have been part of is is trying to merge business practices. Okay, so you've got the concept of the BABOC, you've got the concept of uh, the PIMBOC for project management, but then you've got other concepts which have to be accommodated. Things like innovation. Innovation itself has its own set of best practices, which if you look carefully, it actually aligns quite well with things like the, the BABOC. And one example would be the Scamper Innovation Tool. So if you look at the BABOC, it, it talks about how you, during enterprise uh, analysis, it's important to generate alternatives. So for the solution approach, you generate alternatives. Well, one of the, obviously the BABOC isn't prescriptive, it's just a guideline, but one of the, the tools that comes out of innovation best practices is the Scamper Innovation Tool. So substitute, combine, adapt, modify, put to another use, eliminate, reverse. That clips in beautifully with the BABOC. So just being aware of these other best practices and knowing that elements of them can clip in, they can calibrate very, very nicely with the existing and more established best practices. But it's just having an understanding of what those pieces are and how they fit in and what you're looking to achieve as a result of clipping that information in. All right, great. So uh, if you can provide me some links to the Scamper tool and other stuff, Steve, I'll, I'll link it up in the show notes. Absolutely. And I, I want to go back again to one of the things you said about calibrating with business. How do you do it tactically? That's a really good uh, question. So one of the first places to, to go to, well, two of the first places, you want to try and work closely with seasoned 
people who are highly respected within the team or teams and have had the kind of depth and breadth of experience in the organization. But you also want to reflect on the organizational process assets. So wherever possible, you want to try and avoid reinventing the wheel. But as new documentation comes online, some of that older documentation has value, but it needs to be updated. It needs to, There's a certain level of calibration that needs to take place to make sure that the, the project is heading in the right direction. So I guess what I'm saying is don't dismiss the knowledge within the organization, both human and documented, and just trying to align. And the other challenge is global teams. Aligning across global teams is always a challenge because of cultural differences and different approaches to uh, certain certain elements. So, so a, a really large organization would benefit from having a kind of a uniform approach to doing certain things. And that helps to calibrate the, the goals. So for example, a global technical support team uh, benefits from having a, a unified approach to tackling projects if there are any special teams involved, any focus groups or so on that work with the developers and the, the BAs and PMs and so on. Great. I, I really like that word calibrating. You want to make sure that you're checking the pulse as you move along, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. It's almost like when you're performing diagnostics, you want to make sure that the machine is still functioning and take real-time pulse of how things are moving along and so that you can you know adapt and change your project if there's a need to that's why i love agile so much because that is living breathing collaboration and calibration right there oh yeah for sure you could have an entire podcast just to talk about that (laughs) yes (laughs) all right so in terms of uh, defining business need the other question that i had was uh how do you get around the solution illusion and, and to your challenge, getting to what the real business need is? So that's an excellent question. One of the approaches that I use is something called Kepner Trago Resolve, which using that in line with the Socratic approach to questioning, you really get deeper into why people come up with solutions before addressing the business needs. So typically we talk about things like the five whys and so on. Well, Unfortunately, the five whys approach, i.e. asking why five times, is a, is a little bit lightweight for more in-depth, more high-risk, more complex projects. So Kepner Trago Resolve is a, I would say, one of the best, it's a gold standard in troubleshooting to true root cause. And in troubleshooting to true root cause, you're stripping out those the reasoning behind coming up with a technical solution. And typically, you'd see people who, I mean, it's our very nature that business analysts focus on the business first and, and look at strategy and business needs. Whereas another part of the business who may be more technical inclined would uh, by their very nature gravitate towards the tech solutioning and there's nothing inherently wrong with that depending on what you're trying to achieve but as far as getting true enterprise analysis out and uh, creating solutions which align with the business strategy and the business goals you need to question take that questioning use a, a functional decomposition approach almost to kind of take things back a step And it's an incredibly powerful method of doing things. 
and you're helping to ensure that the, the, the solution, which by the way, isn't, as you well know, isn't necessarily a technical solution. It may be a business process. It may be something way simpler than that. It may be frugal innovation as opposed to something which is more expensive up front, you know. Taking the time to analyze, really analyze, really apply some of the Babok techniques is a very powerful, powerful approach. So the solution approach, for example, looking at assumptions and constraints, sometimes the assumptions and constraints drive this desire to come to a solution before truly analyzing the, the, the real scope of the, the, the challenge at hand. That's great. I mean, that's something uh, that I haven't heard of before, the, the method that you talked about. Can you spell that for our audience, please? Sure. Kepner is a K. E-P-N-E-R, and the, the second word is Trego, T-R-E-G-O-E, I believe, Kepner Trego Resort. If you've ever seen the film Apollo 11 with Tom Hanks, the way that NASA successfully brought the Apollo 11, or sorry, Apollo 13, the capsule back down to Earth safely, mm-hmm. that was Kepner Trego Resort. So Apollo 13 is an excellent case study in the use of uh, that particular approach you just need to map it to uh, kind of troubleshooting the solution illusion for sure i guess one of the takeaways for our audience would be to watch apollo 13 uh, <laughs> there is a movie right is it is op- yes op- with is tom op- hanks yeah with tom hanks so that's one of the takeaways for audiences to watch that movie <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe like uh, at, a, at a more scale down something that they could immediately relate to steve can you give an example of how you actually used it in your project? Like maybe a real-world example that you could think of. Yeah, so a real-world example would be a large insurance company that I've worked at in the past. I essentially looked, there was a challenge with the error rate of transactions for a particular thing we were doing. Mm-hmm. And using an approach similar to KT Resolve, Kepner Traeger Resolve, I was able to identify the true root cause, and I want to separate that from the concept of root cause, the true root cause, which uh, was leading to the error rates. And we were able to put in place, or should I say, I was able to put in place a risk mitigation approach, which was recommended, it was actually implemented, and the error rate was reduced to 0.2% as opposed to the uh, the previous number, which was uh, a little higher than that. Mm-hmm. So again, just like the Babel, it is a fit-to-purpose approach. So you can, it's highly modular and you can use elements of it. And one of the most powerful questions you can ask is what caused the cause? And sometimes that takes you down beyond just the technical cause to things like business processes, which sometimes escape that, that net when, mm-hmm. we, when, when we use the term root cause analysis. It should actually be referred to, in my opinion, as a true root cause analysis. Like what caused the cause? That's an interesting insight. So, uh, in your example, Steve, the, the problem was really high error rate, right? Yeah, a relatively high. I want to be clear that they were they were doing a great job. It was an opportunity to fine tune the uh, the process, and by doing that, by doing a comprehensive deep dive on what was going on and asking the right stakeholders we were able to identify what needed to be changed. We made that change and the error rate dropped significantly. So yeah, we, it was successful in that respect. 
So part of defining the business need more clearly was an exercise that you perhaps started was like, did you reach out to stakeholders, get, you know, do some survey? How did you get to defining the business need for this? So that was a a combination of brainstorming. So workshops, I found, are very effective for doing that. Looking at the the business rules that existed. Sometimes, as you know, Yamo, business rules, although they're in place, it doesn't necessarily mean they're still relevant. So looking closely at the business rules gives us an opportunity to say, well, hold on a minute. What worked yesterday may no longer be relevant. So you then have the ability to determine, okay, do we tweak this? If we tweak this, what benefit are we going to get out of that? And we can, you know, obviously take that to another level. But understanding the business rules and the scope of what those rules are and how relevant they still are to the true way of working is a powerful, it's definitely a powerful ally in getting to to the bottom of, of good enterprise analysis. Absolutely. So it's, it was a combination of activities that, that helped you define that that problem area, if you will. So, That's right, yeah. So how did that translate to, like, as an artifact? Was it a more detailed description of what the problem was and what caused it? maybe the top reasons that caused it along with the options like what was the document called so the end product was a was a tool we made it we were able to based on the analysis we were able to make a tweak to the tool we documented that and that then existed beyond just that project it was something that it was a recurring project so that project was able to benefit from that tweak again and again and again okay great all right, so going back to your calibrating with business, right, and just checking the pulse, you touched upon an important uh, element of actually looking at what exists uh, yes. before you actually take that leap from, okay, what's your problem to what can be done to solve the problem, yes. right? So, which is the second task in enterprise analysis, assessing the capability gaps. Uh-huh. So the highlights of performing this task, right? right? what's the importance of assessing the capability gaps before you actually know what's required? I see, I see. Okay, so the real value is understanding the size of your undertaking. You're understanding the marketplace, the global marketplace, for example. You get a better understanding of scope creep, the risks of scope creep really looking to prioritizing the requirements and the tasks and so on, you get a good sense of the technological limitations as well because you're looking at the current state, if you like, versus what you're trying to achieve, the future state. It uncovers other things like gaps in your business processes, gaps in the functionality of the software, for example. So it's a real powerful ability to to really go under the covers and see where the capability gaps lie. I'd like to say at this point that assessing capability gaps, it's not just an exercise that you should be doing within your organization. A comprehensive assessment of capability gaps should also include 
some sort of analysis on what's going on around us. There's so many different things happening so quickly across different organizations that indirectly or directly impact the way the internal business runs. And as a result of that, the size of that gap and the, the content, you know. So I'm big on uh, tapping into world-class resources to help ensure that my capability gap assessment is accurate, both from an internal point of view and also an external point of view. That's great. So how do you ensure the external point of view is leveraged properly? So that's an excellent question. I spend a lot of time and effort in investing in the right kinds of information. So for example, I find that The Economist magazine is absolute, uh, the newspaper is an absolute goldmine. I do not have the time to read it. So I consume that in audio format and it is an absolutely incredible resource to the point where it sometimes allows you to spot stuff before it happens. And what I mean by that is because so many global leaders in industry and elsewhere look at that as a bellwether, they may call something out that isn't supposed it happens and okay it happened it may not have been supposed to happen but because these guys have the ability to essentially move mountains they make it happen anyway so i could go into more detail but i'm just saying that if you are in a particular industry for example smartphones then you have an obligation to keep an ear to the ground to see what is happening in the way of smartphone mergers, acquisitions, technological developments. For example, there's a, a wonder product out there called Graphene, which most people haven't heard of, but I guarantee it will change the way that many companies do business mm -hmm. because of the, the nature of that product. And also you get a sense of who owns the patents for those products or patents, as they say in the US. Yeah. So that gives you a sense of where business is going. And uh, I've been quite successful in getting right now my Twitter account outperform all. I've actually got seven followers on there who have a combined market cap of 488 billion US. It's because of the, the fact that I keep a pulse on uh, what's happening externally mm -hmm. that I'm able to get inject that into my uh, analysis. But also at the same time, a nice a side product of that is that I have certain organizations who are interested in what I uh, send out in micro blogs and so on. I have to be very careful what I send out, but what I send out is high value and it's also in the public domain. Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. I think that's a that's a great takeaway, and that's something that all analysts, you know, aspire or need to do. You know, keep up to date on the industry that they are on it, and you know, it's one of the underlying competency even in the BABOK. So, in terms of the the inputs, Steve, when we look at assessing capability gaps, there are three inputs. You need the business need, which is what the problem really is. Which, which sort of provides the context for looking at what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there is enterprise architecture. So how has enterprise architecture sort of translated in, in your work? Like, what do you look at? So that's an excellent question. So enterprise architecture, because of the nature of its complexity, sometimes you see, depending on the organizations you work in, if it's a startup, then the enterprise architecture is generally very clean. They've been able to skip a legacy infrastructure. So you've got a clean slate. 
and you can do wonderful things there but at the same time they have their small organizations have their own challenges whereas older organizations who have been around for you know in some cases hundreds of years their enterprise architecture is definitely more of a heterogeneous nature it tends to be more complex and it definitely tends to have all the uh, legacy constraints or some of the legacy constraints that are tied to that complexity and the, the fact that they've been around for a long time and we can't forget there are there are other constraints when you're talking about enterprise architecture which may be related to legal constraints legislation regulation and so on so having an understanding of the the industry that you're operating in the history of the organization and the success that they've had in the past with uh, implementing solutions within those constraints of their enterprise architecture so that really does help well documented organizational process assets are, are obviously very valuable but in my experience due to the complexity of some of those environments it's sometimes a, a struggle to get the most accurate information so some oftentimes the BA has to spend a fair bit of time working with the experts in those areas to make sure that the current capabilities captured are truly a reflection of the enterprise and not just incorrect perceptions. So that's why there's a lot of document analysis that needs to be done. And that's why I was looking at the techniques. There are only two techniques, document analysis and SWOT analysis. Yes, yes, yes. I personally believe that encompassed within the, the, the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats, you could extend that out to take slightly different approaches. For example, I, uh, I personally use a, a content aggregating tool, which is an uh, investment grade uh, called uh, First Rain, firstrain.com. And it is tremendously helpful in keeping me up to speed on what the essentially the current capabilities of the generic solutions that we've got in place, what those are. Because obviously, capabilities change. Once you apply a service pack to a piece of software, you're essentially changing the capabilities. So that's something that we need to be mindful of. Just because we installed the software last week or just because we're pulling down information last week doesn't mean that this week those capabilities haven't been changed. And that applies to cloud-based solutions as well because we're all constantly getting upgrades for cloud-based solutions too. So it's oh, yeah. important to keep a pulse on the external environment when you're capturing these things because they're not created in a vacuum and they're influenced by external factors as well. Um, the other piece is solution performance and uh, assessment as an input to assessing capability gaps. And that's always a challenge. It's always a challenge to the right kind of solution assessment and validation at the end of a project. Typically, the project ends, it was a success in terms of timing and, and quality and so on. But really assessing the success of a project, that's something that needs to be assessed you know, six months, to three months, six months, 12 months down the line to apply some of the skills called out in the BABOC under solution assessment and validation to get to that point where you've got a solution performance assessment. Mm -hmm. And that may be something that you do after a project's ended. It may be something you do as a snapshot in real time. But I find, in my experience, that's always been a challenge to get accurate information. 
depending on the you know the technology the the, the people the politics involved all right so oh yeah for sure absolutely sometimes if you, some information is easily understood and some is really hidden <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> right for various reasons people have political agendas they don't want to reveal it so that's why you know i always say that what meets the eye is not what really it is you have to look beyond and listen beyond and perceive beyond what you see that's right that's right if you want the truth keep digging oh yeah keep digging <laughs> like you like you say what caused the cause right <laughs> yes 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 absolutely so let's talk about a couple challenges on this and try and wrap this discussion steve so what challenges have you faced when you assess capability gaps do the aspects of solution illusion come in what sort of derails this effort so sometimes i found that technical capabilities have been mixed in with business capabilities so just understanding the difference between the two in terms of documentation obviously you're dealing with agendas as well the the challenge as i said the, the the real challenge in this world of big data what is truly a capability gap i mean the business may have a sense of what the capability gap is within the business, but a product may have just been launched that they're not aware of, which changes, like external to the organization, which changes that capability gap assessment. So to what degree are they keeping up to speed on that information? What tools are they using? And to what degree does everyone who needs to know have access to those tools to essentially validate the the impact of these gaps or to, you know, to, to... see how their line of business is impacted by these capability gaps. So that comes under the techniques, for example, SWOT analysis. I, I personally think that there are some, as, as big data gets more complicated, the type of SWOT analysis, that the approach we take to that has to be in lockstep with uh, the complexity of big data that we're dealing with. That's why you need these more advanced tools to handle that. Again, first train is a, is a good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the other challenges would relate to assumptions, all right? So, so identifying assumptions and clarifying those assumptions, uh, again, those, those assumptions aren't trapped in time. They, the, the assumption you captured may have been trapped in time, but in reality, that's impacted by external forces. So what may have been a valid assumption last week is no longer a valid assumption. So the BA has to be on top of that and make sure that, you know, they, they, they've got truly valid uh, assumptions that they're, they're working with there. So again, visibility, using tools that help uh, everyone to essentially monitor or kind of check in and say, hold on a minute, that's not an assumption anymore. That is actually, that's just been brought into law or mm-hmm. it's no longer, you know, so either way. So those are the big challenges that I would say that uh, I've had in my experience with uh, capability gap assessment. Great. So uh, looks like we're almost at the end of our, our show, Steve. So if you have to relay anything out to the community, any any closing thoughts, comments, you know, not just in terms of enterprise analysis, but also business analysis as a whole, what would you say to that? So I would first of all say that we need to respect that concept of calibration 
as well as collaboration when we're coming together to, to get to the, the root of certain uh, issues and projects. We definitely need to respect some of the other best practices out there. I mean, I only touched on innovation because that's one of my passion passion points uh, at the moment. So we need to we need to understand that the the Babok was built out in a very flexible way. It's not prescriptive. It's it's definitely a guideline. And as a guideline, we have to embrace other best practices such as innovation, best practices. And if they're done right if they're done in the the, the the correct way and each party is respected and and also respects the best practices of other parties then you've got a wonderful situation there you've got what i call a nice problem to solve mm-hmm. and uh, the innovators dna is a, a brilliant reference book if anyone's interested in it innovators dna is an excellent book that i uh, actually used to prep for that uh, for a recent conference I went to in Berkeley, California for uh, innovation. The last thing I would say is that uh, it's really, it's increasingly important that BAs have access to high value and up-to-date resources in order to complete high quality enterprise analysis. If you're going just off the theory or just off the insights of what's going on internal to the business, then you're increasing the risk of failure in my opinion of that initiative project or whatever you're, you're tackling. It's really important that BAs in this day and age have access to world-class content which is up-to-date and can truly reflect some of the theory that they, they spend a lot of time in. Those are some really great takeaways, Steve. I want to thank you for taking the time and being part of the Bach Talk. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Yamo, and keep doing the, the brilliant job you're doing. I, I can't tell you how valuable your content is to my approach. Thanks for the kind words, Steve. And, you know, thanks again for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks again, Steve, and I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and understood the importance of performing proper enterprise analysis. To ask a question, leave a comment or reference the links mentioned in the show, please visit thebacoach.com forward slash episode 44. That's it from me for this episode, folks. I'll see you over at thebacoach.com. Bye for now.